wait, wait. I hate the wait. Anybody like waiting? I don't like waiting. I don't like I don't like stoplights. I don't like stop signs. I, I don't I don't like when I go to the drive-through and they're like, "Your French fries aren't ready yet." I'm like, "Why not? You didn't know I was coming." I don't like waiting. I don't like going to the doctor's office and sitting in the waiting room. I mean, I, I got here 20 minutes before my appointment, and now it's 15 minutes after my appointment. I'm still reading, and don't get me wrong, I love a good 2005 version of, like, Sports Illustrated as much as the next guy, but I'm still reading about Tiger Woods and the Masters, and I'm wondering why, why am I not in my doctor's office, yet I don't like waiting. Some things are worth waiting for, like uh, vacation. It's worth waiting for, right? Weekends are worth waiting for. Homemade ice cream is worth waiting for. But I don't like waiting. Maybe you're with me. Maybe you're with me on that. Um, we are starting this teaching series today called, uh, from the book of Acts. It's called uh, When God Sparks a Movement. And we're studying through the book of Acts, which uh, I think is maybe one of the most important books of the Bible. Call, calling any book one of the most important books of the Bible is kind of like asking a parent, you know, which one of your kids is your favorite, right? Because you're like, uh, I really can't answer that question. But if you're a parent, you know that you could look at any one of your kids and quickly begin to tell what some of the most unique and important traits about that child are, right? It's like, man, th this one is really good at this, and they're compassionate, and they've got this skill, and they're an artist or whatever, and this one over here is this and that, and, and you can point them out. And so the same thing is true when it comes to the Bible. Though there are 66 books in the entire Bible, each one of them kind of brings something different to the table. Some of them are kind of, uh, are, are kind of teaching books that give us kind of some of God's expectations for how we live and conduct our life. Uh, some of them are historical books, and they go through and they tell us some of the things that happened uh, in ancient Israel and, and the Jewish people and things like that. Some of them are books of poetry. Some of them are books of prophecy. And um, the book of Acts kind of falls into a kind of neat category because it kind of has a little bit of all of that. The book of Acts stands in the New Testament of the Bible. So if you take your Bible, and, and, and it's divided in two big sections, uh, if you didn't realize this, the first, about two-thirds of it, we call the Old Testament, and that's everything that happened before Jesus came into the world, the Old Testament. The New Testament is everything that happened from the time that Jesus came into the world and into the beginnings of the early church. So the book of Acts falls right, kind of right at the beginning, the fifth book of the New Testament of the Bible, and it is one of the most exciting books in the Bible. I'd like uh, for a second uh, to, to, to tell you about this word, wait. In your seats, you had these little business cards. Did you see those? And I got the, like a little larger version over here on the stage. What I want to do over the course of this eight weeks is take this really exciting book of the Bible. And we're going to break it down. There are 26 chapters in the book of Acts, but we're going to break it down into kind of eight movements or eight parts and I'd like to have a, a little mnemonic tool, a, a way that we can remember uh, the book of Acts with eight simple words, okay? So each week we're going to get a different word, and if you were to, like I said earlier, to, to get these little business card size pieces out of your seat each week, take them home with you, maybe punch a hole in them, put them on a key ring, maybe stick them in your glove compartment, pack them in your Bible. Uh, if you're like me, a lot of times you get stuff like this and you just throw it away. That's cool too, uh, but if you want to hang on to them, by the end of this series you'll have eight of these things, and you will be able to take each word and retell that part of the book of Acts. And so by the time you have all eight words, you could retell the entire book of Acts and have quite an epic story. This week, the word is wait. Wait. And we're going to get to what that's all about in just a second. I want to take a second to dive in to the book of Acts. Have you heard about the book of Acts? Have you read it? Have you gone through it? The book of Acts, if I was going to give you uh, kind of a, a movie trailer on what the book of Mac Acts is all about, um, 
It would have to be a movie directed by like J.J. Abrams or Peter Jackson or something like that because the, the book of Acts is this grand in scope. It takes place over hundreds and thousands of miles of space. There are lots and lots of characters and lots of settings. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge story. Uh, it begins with the very first church service and we see just you know, several dozen people that believe in Jesus and it spans over a large period of time as the church spreads and grows and gets into lots of little communities all all over the Mediterranean Sea region. In the book of Acts, we see all kinds of different conflict with military leaders and political uh, intrigue going on. There, there are murders, there is theft, there is scandal, there's court scenes, there's something out of like a law and order TV show. There's a shipwreck from one of the main characters of the book of Acts, and, and he's shipwrecked and he ends up on this island. He's got to kind of save everybody on the ship, and it's insane what happens with this character. Uh, you see uh, prominent ladies in communities, women who step up into the limelight, and they make a difference in the world to the things that we do. We also see smaller intimate stories of, of stories with families and what God does to impact and change their lives. The book of Acts is a book of history. And history to me is one of my favorite genres of literature to read because it is better uh, than, than nonfiction. Because history is better than fiction. History is better than fiction because history is real. It's real people and real events and things that you can relate to. That's a trailer for the book of Acts. And that's what we're getting into today. We're going to see what happens, not only as the church grows from a fledgling seed into this great thing that it is around the world today, but we're going to see what God can do in each one of our lives as we learn to live our lives the way that Jesus intends us to together. If you never read the book, uh, a book of the Bible before, you might hear all the things I just said and be like, what? That's in the Bible? Really? Like, I thought the Bible was just a bunch of lists of thou shalt nots and, like, things that are supposed to make me feel guilty about life. Man, the book of, the book of Acts and all over the Bible are amazing, exciting, engaging stories of real people and what God did with their lives to transform them and transform the world. If you look at Acts chapter 1, we see uh, a lot about the book, where it comes from. If you ever study a book of the Bible, a good place to start is to kind of get what we just call background information. Who wrote it? Why was it written? Who was it written to? And so actually the first two verses of the book of Acts give us a little glimpse into that. Today we're going to be in what I'm just calling part one, and we're looking at the word wait, and we're going to get there in a second. You're going to have to wait to find out. But we're going to be looking at a lot of chapter one of Acts. And so as we kind of get into the story, let's kind of find out where this book came from. If you've got a Bible with you today, open it up, turn to the book of Acts. Like I said, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. You can flip over or scroll down on your phone. I do want to point out that we do give away free Bibles every week here at church. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible that is a very readable version, a modern, well-written Bible, uh, Grab one before you leave today. You're going to want to get into this book on your own when you get home. Uh, there's so much that we're not even going to be able to tackle in eight weeks. Uh, so grab one before you leave today. But we're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 1. And let's just ju jump in for a second and just kind of see what we can figure out. First is this, Acts 1.1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So if you've never read the book of Acts before, you kind of got a lot of questions off the bat. First of all, who is this guy, Theophilus? And who is the person saying, in my former book, I wrote? Those two questions can be pretty easily answered. And let me just give them to you, and then we're going to look at a couple of different places in the Bible where we can see this. The author of the book of Acts is a guy named Luke. Uh, he's a physician turned kind of historian journalist. <laughs> and this is a guy who's a, a very intelligent guy, a uh, very well-educated guy, and very keen on paying attention to the details of a story. 
So this is Luke. His name is Luke. He actually wrote another book in the Bible. Uh, can you guess what it's called? Luke, yeah, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and it turns out that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are actually kind of two parts of the same work. Uh, the book of Luke is kind of part one, and Acts is a sequel. They read end to end together. Where he leaves off in Luke, he picks up again in Acts. And so we see that. That's who Luke is. We're going to check out a little, bit, a little bit more on him in just a second. But then you get this guy, Theophilus. And uh, the, truthfully, Theophilus doesn't come up much more in the story. He's not in the story of Acts, but he does show up twice in the Bible. Uh, what I'd like to do, actually, is rewind to the other place that we see Theophilus. Luke mentions Theophilus in his first book. The book of Luke. So if you've got a Bible and you need to flip over a couple pages, or it'll also be on the screen here behind me. Let's also go back and look, look at Luke chapter 1 and see how he starts that book off. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first, the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, remember this is Luke talking again, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There he goes again, Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Um, we could talk about Theophilus for a long time. There have been scholarly articles written about him and lots of things you could say about who he was and some speculation on some part he played in the early church. But one thing I know for sure is this. He's a friend of Luke's, and Luke is writing this book so that Theophilus can know for sure the details behind the faith that Theophilus is trying to understand, which is really cool for me because I feel like I'm a lot like Theophilus. I'm a guy who, like, I, I've heard a lot about this Jesus guy. I, I understand what it, it means to a lot of other people, but I just really need some evidence, some facts, some details that could help me understand the Jesus story a little bit better. And so that is actually the reason that Luke is writing this book to this guy, Theophilus. Luke's first volume, Luke's first volume uh, ends at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so if you know the story of Jesus, or even if you don't, it's, it's very commonly you know, understood that one of the big things Jesus did, he lived, he was crucified, he died, and then according to, many, according to many accounts, he rose from the dead. Big deal for Christians, by the way. Luke's going to get into it in just a second. He rose from the dead, and then after spending a little bit of time on earth and appearing to people, he then ascended back into heaven. Everything that happened in that little window of time is huge for faith. The biggest thing uh, that, that happens uh, from the time that Jesus rose from the dead until the time that he goes back into heaven is something that Luke starts talking about in verse 3 of Acts. And so we're going to go back over to the book of Acts. I just kind of went on a journey there just to see the connection between Luke and Acts. But let's get back in the book of Acts, and let's see where Luke continues to give us some background on what's happening in this book that he's about to give us. We're going to be in verse 3 now. He says, after his suffering, talking about Jesus, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. One of the greatest evidences that Jesus actually rose from the dead was what Luke talks about right here. That after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs. Did you know that after Jesus rose from the dead, we have record of him appearing to over 500 individuals to let them know that he did indeed do what he said he was going to do. He rose from the dead. 
Now, it'd be one thing if like one or two people were coming around like, yeah, I saw him. I saw him. Woo! We got, you know, like the lady at, at the trailer park with the curlers in and the news people come to interview about the hurricane and the, the tornado or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I saw it. He was coming around here like a Mack truck. And like sometimes you get, you get two witnesses and it's real easy to write them off, right? No offense to people with hair curlers in. That's not even my point. My point is this. You get one or two witnesses, people start thinking that you, you, you could have made that up. You're a nut. You're a lunatic. Maybe it didn't happen that way, right? one or two witnesses what if it was just like 10 or 12 witnesses you know if only 10 or 12 people witnessed Jesus risen from the dead maybe let's say the 10 closest disciples 12 closest disciples to Jesus I think we could begin to even write that off a little bit as kind of a conspiracy theory many people have tried to do that like man I saw Tupac like he was over there he was over at the 7-Eleven getting a Slurpee I seen him it was at Elvis they were singing a song there's a Biggie Smalls was on the way I seen the whole thing Because conspiracy theories come up when small groups of people get together and begin to conspire. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. He begins to appear to hundreds of people. 50 people, more credible. 100 people, more credible. 150 people, more credible. 200, 250, over 500 people from all different walks of life, all different faith groups, seeing Jesus alive again. Suddenly it becomes harder and harder to keep the story straight unless it's true. In a court of law, you only need one or two good witnesses. We're talking about over 500 people bearing witness to Jesus, who thousands of people were aware was he was going to be crucified. Many more stood around and watched it happen. Others laid him in a grave. And after the fact, over 500 saw him risen. This becomes a hallmark for Christian faith. It becomes the thing that everything hinges on. What's interesting about this 500 people is that many of them were so convinced of the idea that Jesus rose from the dead that many of them took that idea to the grave. At the risk of their own life, being persecuted for that very belief, were willing to say, I saw what I saw. So take my life if you want to, but I'm not going to lie. Suddenly the story of Jesus becomes all the more reliable. And then that small group of followers grew from a dozen to several dozen to hundreds to thousands within a few weeks and then eventually around the world. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not in that part yet. We're just in chapter one of Luke, of Acts. So we need to get back to this. And we need to get back to this. What does the word wait have to do with anything this morning? Uh, it was the year 2000. And uh, I did uh, one of the most bold things I had done in my entire life to date. I asked my now wife, Lindsay, to marry me in the year 2000, okay? That was a long time ago. And now, I need to tell you a a dirty little secret about the two of us that maybe some of you aren't ready to hear, okay? Um, In the year 2000, I was a freshman, my wife laughing. (laughs) In the year 2000, I was a freshman in college, and my wife was a senior in high school. Yeah, you all just judged me right now. I know. I know. And what you're thinking is exactly right. You were not ready to get married. <laughs> it's true. It's true we weren't. At, at 18 and 19 years old, man, we weren't getting married. We didn't have a decent income. We didn't have a house. We didn't have a... Okay, let me not, let's not play here. Let's not talk about all the things we didn't have. That would take too long, right? We didn't have nothing. We had, we had nothing. And, and so, you know, I wanted to be the, the, the chivalrous gentleman. And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask uh, Lindsay to marry me, but I also wanted to get the blessing of, of her dad, right? So um, 
I did the right thing. I, I went over and talked to them about it. And, and they, they knew I was coming. I gave them a heads up. Uh, I just called and said, uh, I knew Lindsay was away at some friend's house. And I said, hey, uh, I'm in town. Uh, would it be okay if I could stop by and talk to you guys? Well, Lindsay's not here. I just want to talk to you two. And, you know, because I'm totally always hanging out with my girlfriend's parents. Um, <laughs> they, they knew something was up. And this is, this is totally true. This is a true story that happened in my real life. Okay, I, I walk into the house. Uh, Lindsay's mom had baked me cookies, okay? Lindsay's dad... <laughs> was sitting at the kitchen table with a rifle. <laughs> that is a 100% true story. And so I walk in, I'm like, smells good. Oh, hello, Mr. Richard. <laughs> and so I walk in, and, and uh, he goes, have a seat. And I'm like, man, this, is, this escalated quickly. And um, he said, I know why you're here, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> and so I did, I did. I said, all right, fine, I, I, you're right. Um, I love your daughter. I love her very much. And... Uh, and I want to I wanna marry your daughter. And, and I know we're young, but I didn't want to do it without your blessing. I, I wanted to have your permission. He said, okay, all right. Chris, let me tell you something. <laughs> he said, I understand, that, understand all that, but I love my daughter too. And I like you all right, and you're a great guy. And if you want to give her that ring, that's fine with me. I think you'd make a fine husband someday. <laughs> But before you get married, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. I want you to wait. See, there were some things that we needed to do first. John Lennon, uh, he did not have it all figured out when he said, all you need is love. <laughs> he was not right about that. There's some other things that you need too, uh, like an income and a house and some wisdom and, uh, I don't know, a job, things like that. Um, and so we had some things we needed to work on. The, the truth was, Lindsay uh, was, was about to be in school uh, to be a nurse. I was already in school. I was in a college uh, to, to become a youth pastor. And so, like, the gears were in place, and, and, and the crank was turning, and things were headed in the right direction. But it wasn't time yet. We needed to wait. We needed to wait. Jesus had done some incredible things in the world up to this point. Up to this point, when we find at the very beginning of Acts, Jesus had done some amazing things in the world. People had seen him do miracles. He had healed people. He had cast out demons. He had raised people from the dead. He'd cured diseases that people thought were absolutely fatal. They heard him talk about a kingdom that he was there to establish, where people could be reconnected to God's love. He spoke of forgiveness of sins and righteousness and peace. He had been the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. And everything had come to a head. He even did the thing that he said he was going to do. He gave his own life, he died, and then he rose from the dead. He'd done the unthinkable, returned from the grave. Here's the thing, all the gears were in place. The crank was turning. And his followers were like, man, something is about to blow up like we are so glad we are here on the front row as things are about to happen you can just imagine what these people must have been thinking like man whoa, what is next we've seen him raise people from the dead we've seen him heal people we've seen him like stand up against all the the leaders who are corrupt he has risen from the dead what is next i want to hang on to these coattails and ride them all the way they were pumped and it's with that excitement it's with that prelude that luke starts the book of acts and we read on and in verse four we get this on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is the command he gives them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait 
for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You ever been watching your favorite show on TV? And it's like, I don't know, it's one of those shows that comes on every Thursday night. And you're pumped and you're like, get to the big part and you watch and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. It comes to a climax and you're like on the edge of your seat and you're ready for the thing to happen that you've been waiting to happen. And then all of a sudden, the screen goes black and these three words come up on the screen. To be continued. And you're like, no! <laughs> I wanted to find out and I have to wait a whole nother week. That's why I binge watch shows on Netflix. Like I ain't got patience to wait a whole week. I'm gonna wait for the whole series to be over then I'm gonna watch it all in one night and not sleep, right? <laughs> so this is the scene. Jesus has just done this amazing stuff. They've seen him raised from the dead. He's appeared to all these people. This movement is happening. They feel like this kingdom that he's been talking about establishing is like at hand. They're ready. And they're like, what do you want us to do, Jesus? And he says, don't leave Jerusalem. No, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want us to do in Jerusalem? Go there and wait. Did I mention that I don't like waiting? Wait. Wait. Some of these guys have been following Jesus for three and a half years. Wait. Jesus, why? Go and wait. Wait for a gift that my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. He says, you know, John the Baptist, he's a guy that they all knew. He baptized with water, and that was a way to symbolize their repentance and their turning to God. But listen, God has got something bigger than water for you. He's going to bring down the Holy Spirit on you. Did you hear that? He said, wait. And what did he say, wait for? He said, wait for the Holy Spirit, uh, this gift that God has promised you. Jesus has done some incredible things. Um, but there was one yet left to do. In fact, the greatest finale of all, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was going to be given to them. Now, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is something we talk about a lot uh, here at Venture Church. If you grew up in church, you might have heard a lot about this. But there's also a lot of confusion about it. What does that mean exactly? And how does it interact? And it sounds a little bit like, like magic or something. Like, what, what is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit actually next week. You'll have to wait for that too. But I don't want to just leave us hanging with the conversation about the Holy Spirit. Um, I think a really mm, kind of simplistic way of understanding the Holy Spirit is kind of like this. And, uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. You can write it down or just remember it for yourself. But it's a very simple thing. And you've probably heard some level of this. First, the thing we need to understand is that there is one God, only one. There's only one God. He's the God that created the universe. He's the God that sustains all things. There's only one God. And we generally, generally refer to God as God or God the Father. And so when we talk about God or God the Father, what we're talking about is God in his all-supreme state. You know, this entity, this spiritual being that exists and is above our own uh, level of spirituality. He is the creator of all things. And so uh, when, when we come together to worship, we're worshiping God, God, okay? God the Father. That's the simplistic understanding of that. Then you have a couple of manifestations of God, though. The God begins to kind of show up in different ways in our life. The first one is God, when he takes his full self and he becomes human, we talk about this every single week here. When God incarnates himself and becomes a human, he calls that Jesus. 
When I come to earth and I'm in human form, I am Jesus. The cool thing about Jesus is that he says, uh, I am both fully God, but also fully man. And many times, we see like, for example, in Philippians chapter 2, he says that he didn't consider the things of God to be held on to tightly, but he released them and made himself nothing in the form of a man and taking on human likeness so that he could be obedient to kind of the laws of humanity. This is where we get to look at God and he gets to experience things like fear and love and joy, but separation and doubt and physical pain and losing a loved one. And if you read through the story of Jesus, the book of Luke would be a great place to do that. You see where God has lowered himself to do that so that he can experience life as a human. Why? Because beyond all else, he wants to show us that he loves us. And the best way to do that is to come down and say, listen, I can relate to you. I get you. I've been through your struggles. I've been through your pain. I lived an entire human life. I know what it means to be rejected. I know what it means to have doubt and fear. Jesus is the greatest expression of God's love to us ever. Because he says, I'm willing to do all this for you. So we've got God the Father God in, in the human form, and Jesus called himself the Son of God, uh, it, was, it was just a way for us to understand that in a human way, even though there's still the only one God, God the Father, God the Son. And then there's this third thing. It's God's interacting and intermingling with our spirits, our souls. Each one of us realized that we are spiritual beings. If any one of you were, you know, man, God forbid that any of this happened, but if, if any one of us were in an accident that mangled our human bodies and we were no longer recognizable, our faces were messed up. Our hands and arms were unusable. Would we not still be the same person? Or would you change identities? You're still the same person. Why? Because you have a soul. It's who you are. Who you are is not what you look like or where you live or how much money you make. It's, it's who you are. It's who your soul is. And the most intimate way that God can interact with us is to interact with us on a spiritual level. For his spirit to come and interact with our soul. And in doing that, he can lead us, he can guide us, he can teach us, he can tutor us, he can stand in the gap for us where we have doubts and misunderstandings about God. And what we call that is the Holy Spirit. Three manifestations of God, one God. And that is the gift that Jesus told his followers to go back and wait for, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you're going to do some amazing things on this earth? Yes. First, wait. I got a gift for you. Wonderful things are worth waiting for. I mentioned vacation, weekends, homemade ice cream. Uh, after I spoke to my future father-in-law about marrying his daughter, uh, I did ask Lindsay to marry me. And uh, I'm not trying to brag, but she did say yes. So, yeah. <laughs> but we... Uh, but my father-in-law had a simple wish. He asked that we wait. And wait, we did. Oh, did we wait. Three and a half excruciating years we waited, engaged. It was three and a half years of hurry up and wait. It was three and a half years of saying, oh man, uh, when is this day ever going to come? But we waited and we waited and we waited. But as the gears began to turn and things began to work out, it turns out my father-in-law's wisdom was right. The timing was so much better. And at the end of that wait was a gift. This coming May, my wife and I will celebrate 13 years of marriage. And I'm so glad that we took the time to prepare ourselves. To get on the same page with each other and with God and say, what does it mean to wait 
for a good thing. Wonderful things are worth the wait. It turns out that the majority of our life is what we do while we wait for the next big thing. Think about that. When was the last time you got a big raise, big promotion, new job, got married, had kids? Like Some of those things might have happened recently to you, but then you realize like it might be a while to the next big thing. If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, Super Bowls don't come every year, right? You spend the majority of your life, I'm a little hurt, you spend the majority of your life in the wait. And I think there's something in that. I really do. I think there's something in that with God looking at us going, what are you doing in the time in between? What are you doing with this time that I'm giving you right now? How are you preparing yourself? How are you bettering yourself? How are you getting closer to me in this time period? The majority of life is about what we do in the time we have while we wait. You know, God has plans for you that are so much bigger than things that you could imagine for yourself. Sometimes I want it now. I want it right now. And maybe God's saying, not yet. Not yet. But what are you going to do with the time while you wait? This is even true for the disciples. In Acts chapter 1, we see this. Uh, we're going to keep on reading our passage. We're slowly making our way through. But in verse 6, we get this. It says, then... They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, I just got to put myself in Jesus' shoes real quick. Because if you've had a kid and you ever had or somebody that you just like had a really big gift that you were ready to give to them. And you have been so excited about giving this big gift. I want to give this gift to you. And you, you give it to them. And then they're like, is that all? <laughs> what? It's, it's the thing where you spend like 100 bucks on your kids and then they spend the whole afternoon playing with the box that came in. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we're going to get boxes next year. Boxes for everybody. Jesus has just laid down on them. All right, here's what you're going to do. Go to Jerusalem. Wait, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And they're like, yeah. But are you at this time going to establish the kingdom that you were talking about? See, what they were imagining was something that they saw from their, their history. If you look in the, the Jewish history, you can look in the Old Testament, there was a time where the nation of Israel was prominent. Man, they, they had a king, they had a kingdom, they had a, a castle, you know. They had people around them, they recognized the Jewish nation and said, man, th- these guys have it together. They had gold, they had riches, they had prominence on the world stage. And it's so interesting that as Jesus goes around and he's talking about, I'm going to build this new kingdom. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's going to be a heavenly kingdom. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you know some of these stories, you're thinking, Jesus is never describing a place with gold-plated anything, okay? He's describing a place where spiritually we connect better with God. But even the disciples miss that. Even up to this point, they're like, okay, sure, we'll go back to Jerusalem, but we need to know, are you now going to establish the kingdom God has plans for us that are so much bigger than we could ever think of for ourselves. And I can only imagine that Jesus kind of had a little grin on his face as they asked him that question. They're like, boys, boys, boys. No, like, but he doesn't say that. He just goes, in verse 7, he says to them, well, by the way, parents, this is a great line for your kids. Write it down. Like, you're going to need this a lot of times. He says this, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. <laughs> I'm start saying that to my kids. It's not for you to know right now. Jesus says, it's not for you to know about when the kingdom is exactly going to play out. That's not for you to know, but verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see why he does that? He turns your head right back to the gift. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And with that, he's done talking. (laughs) Jesus is just done. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. 
And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These are angels. Angels come up beside him. Verse 11, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. This amazing adventure with Jesus has taken these followers on, on such a journey. Put yourself in their shoes for just a second. I mean, some of these guys were there from the very beginning. Like, they, they saw Jesus when he did his very first miracle, when he turned water into wine at a wedding party. And they were like, what is this guy about? And they were there later as he preached to 10,000 people as he stood on the side of a hill and he just preached and he talked. Many of them had eaten the food as he multiplied bread and fish and they were like, man, that was good. Where did this come from? Who is this guy? Some of them had seen him walk on water and heal people who were crippled and bring sight back to blind people. Over and over again, they seen this amazing guy and then the pinnacle of this whole experience they saw him die. They were there when he was put in a tomb. And three days later, he's knocking on the door like, hey, guys, I got some sweet new battle scars. And I'm alive. And they're just thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next? And all of a sudden, he's done talking, and he's rising up on a cloud, and he's going up into heaven, and the screen goes black, and to be continued. No. Like, we don't want you to go, Jesus. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's a nice guy, but we like you. Stay with us. Lead us. Teach us. We're not ready. The gears were in place, and the crank had been turning. And Jesus says, now it's time for you to go do some things for me. Go to Jerusalem and wait, and I'll send you the gift. What about you? Where do you fit in this story? Do you believe that Jesus was real? That's a fundamental question. Um, I'm serious. I'm serious when I ask that. Do you really believe that Jesus was real, that someone really lived 33 and a half years or so, and then he died, and then he rose from the dead? I've been to a lot of funerals, and then never in that way. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if maybe... You're in a period right now, like a lot of people we find in the Bible and like I've been in my life too. Maybe you're in a period where this word wait means a lot to you. Because you feel like, man, I'm just waiting for somebody to show me some evidence that this is reliable, that this is true. Or show me something. I'm just waiting. Like I'm waiting for some fulfillment. I'm, I'm waiting for my life to come together. What is it that you're waiting for? And if you're someone who's just been waiting to, to figure out God and to understand what he can mean in your life, I got to tell you something. Um, some really good news for you. First of all is this, uh, you don't have to wait to finish reading the rest of the story from the book of Acts. Uh, you can go home and binge watch that sucker today. <laughs> I mean, read it cover to cover. Take notes. There's audio versions you can listen to. There have been kind of uh, dramatic uh, films made of them, of stories from the book of Acts. You can see what happened with the story from the book of Acts, but maybe you're at a place even still where you're still like waiting for some reason to believe. There's a lot of things that I could offer to you, but here's what I ask you to do. What are you going to do with the time while you wait? How are you going to use that? I want to turn you onto a resource if you're in that boat. Uh, we've got some, some at the back at the coffee table back there. Uh, it's a book called More Than a Carpenter. 
And a lot of you have read that book because it's a book we recommend in our, our Venture Basics class, uh, which, by the way, we'll be having here in a couple months. We're going to start it up again if you've never had the class. And there, a lot of these kind of questions are answered there. But the book back there is a good place to start. The story, uh, the More Than a Carpenter, comes from a guy who was basically maybe like you are. He had a lot of doubts. He was, he was an agnostic leaning on atheism. He's like, I don't know what I believe, but really I just wish my friends would shut up about their Christian faith. I tell you what, guys, if I can prove that Christianity is a big farce, will you just leave me alone? If I can prove to you that it's a big fake, will you get out of my hair about it? They're like, sure. So he sets out to study this thing. He gets in deep, man. He begins studying in archaeology and history and all kinds of things. And when he gets to the end of his study, you know what happens? He's convinced. And he becomes a Christian, and he wrote this book, More Than a Carpenter, to help maybe you. And they're free. If you want to grab one of those books before you leave the day, just go grab them and, and take one home with you and read it, read it this week. What are you doing while you wait? Maybe you can do a little studying and dig in. Maybe for you, you've been waiting to choose Jesus. You know this gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about, which really awesome is? It wasn't just for the disciples, it's available to every single human being who wants to give their life to him. We're going to read this next week in Acts chapter 2. But there are people who are like, what should we do with ourselves? And, and the disciples say, here's what you should do. You should repent from your sins, turn away from them, do your best to stop sinning, and be baptized. And in baptism, you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. You can look that up and read it later if you want to. But wow, did you know that when you become a Christian and you're baptized into Jesus, you get this same gift that Jesus was talking about? If you are a Christian today, you have that in your life. And as you pray, we talked about prayer for the last three weeks, maybe you could just go to God like, man, help me feel your spirit moving among me. What are you doing with the time you have while you wait for things to change, while you wait for things to grow? And maybe what you need to do is stop waiting and say, I'm, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want this gift of the Holy Spirit. I want this community. I want this life that God promises. The biggest weight, though, to me, is the most exciting part. And it's something we don't talk a lot about anymore in modern Christianity. It used to be something that people always talked about. Did you notice the last scene as Jesus is kind of rising up in the cloud? And the angels come to the disciples, and they're like, what are you looking at the sky for? And the, and the disciples are probably like, oh, Jesus, he left us, he's going to leave. And you know what he says, the angels? They say, oh, he'll be back. Don't worry, he'll be back. I take my kids to uh, the YMCA. They got a child care thing there. And my kids do great. They go right in. When they were younger, they weren't so good. But I, I, now I'll see younger kids get dropped off. And if you ever had like a really young kid, you drop them off at child care, you ever see them lose their freaking minds? <laughs> like the world is collapsing. Mommy will never come back. And it's just like, ah. And that's the way that it feels sometimes when we walk away from a spiritual experience. You know, we're like, that was so good. That was so good. And then we walk away and we're like, panic attack. I don't know if I can move on without this. You know what Jesus says? I haven't left you for good. I'll be back. And while I'm gone, I left my spirit, which by the way, Jesus says, is even better than having me here in the flesh. Because my spirit can be with you all the time, everywhere. The greatest weight that we have is waiting for Jesus to return. And I love the instructions that Jesus gives his disciples right before he goes into heaven. He says, and you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guys, Venture Church, my church family, your church family, what are we doing with the time we have while we wait? This city needs Jesus. You have coworkers who need Jesus. You got neighbors and relatives 
who need some Jesus in their life. And sometimes all we want to do is invite them to a church service or maybe just, I said a little prayer quietly for that person, but what if, what if we could begin to have some real conversation with them? And I love the word that Jesus uses here. He says, you will be my witnesses to these people. You know what witness does? They just tell their story. I wonder what God has done for you. What has he done in your life? What has he done in your family? Can you share that with somebody? In the time while we wait for Jesus to return, let's be his witnesses. And guys, that's part one of Acts, to be continued. Let me pray for you today. Lord, we love you. And uh, as we just check into uh, this, man, great story of how you got your church started and how you spread uh, your love and your word throughout the world. Father, I just pray that we as a community can jump on board and we can just read our Bibles and we can take notes and we can learn uh, what it means to serve you. God, help us to learn what to do with the weight. Help us to understand that uh, you don't leave us waiting forever. In fact, you've already sent your spirit to be among us. And so I pray, Father, in the power of that spirit, that you will move among us and help us to love and serve this community and each other to the best of our abilities so that we can be your witnesses here in Wilmington and the state of North Carolina and to the ends of the earth. We love you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.